for those of you who've kind of been here with us and following along with all that we've been doing for the past three months, we've been going through this series called Road to the Kingdom, Road to the Kingdom. And uh, we started, you know, back in October and we started looking at, you know, what is God's plan? And what we wanted to make sure people understood is that God's plan wasn't just to create a world, okay? There was, it was more than creating a world. He was, he had a purpose for creating a world. In fact, when I talk about what God's plan was, God's plan wasn't to create a world. God's plan was to create a kingdom. The world was just a step along the way. And so we started back in Genesis talking about that. And then we, as we got to the end of, of uh, October and moved into November, we, we started to read about, from Scripture about how we messed everything up. Um, we thought we were better than God. We thought, you know, we had a better plan. We thought, you know, creation was just for us and we could use it however we wanted. And that led us down this really dark path. And it led us down this, this path that ended up in, in us thinking we were taking control, but we didn't really take control. Instead, we became slaves, and we became slaves to sin, and we couldn't escape. We were, we were slaves because we had, we had rejected the one true source of life and the one true source of truth, and we had just left it all behind because we thought we could do better, and we got more and more stuck in our own sin. We got... You know, and, and we tried to reason it out in our minds. I sometimes think it's kind of a simple, you know, kind of a silly example, but, but it's kind of like if you've ever lost, like, your keys and, and you swear that your keys are, like, they're, they're not, you know, where they're supposed to be, and so you look everywhere else for your keys. And finally, you go back and look at where they're supposed to be, and there they are. You spent so much time, so much frustration, thinking your way through it, trace, retracing your steps, you know, calling people, blaming people, doing everything you normally do when you lose something. And it was right where it was supposed to be all the time. That's what happened to the world, and the world was without hope. The world was doomed to just be what it is now, just this, this, this kind of efforts to try to like, to kind of get along, but you know, ultimately everything falls apart. And then God makes a way. And for the past few weeks, we've been talking about that way. We've been talking about that hope. We've been talking about that peace and that love. That God would rescue us. That he would rescue us. And what he's rescuing us, us, us for is not just to get us out of trouble. There's a lot of people who consider themselves Christians who think that all God was doing was getting them out of trouble. And now God can just let them go. He can just leave them alone they're out of trouble. But God wasn't just getting us out of trouble. 
God was, was bringing us into the kingdom that he created. This kingdom, it's been his purpose all the time. You know, some people only come, and this may be you, and I, I don't know it's, if it's you, and if it is you, I'm not in any way trying to point you out. I'm just stating fact. That some of you listening online and some of you are here, you only come to church on Christmas and maybe Easter. If that's you, I want you to make sure you understand what Christianity really is because this might be your only opportunity. For those of you who've kind of, you know, been here and you know and, you know, you, you're always, you know, trying to be engaged in this, still the same thing. We, we get this misunderstanding of what we think Christianity is. We think Christianity is this personal salvation where I get a personal God who becomes like my personal butler and takes care of me and makes sure I'm okay through the rest of my life and makes sure that I'm reasonably happy and gets me out of trouble and you know, helps me when I'm sick. But what I hope we've unpacked over the past three months is that God's plan is much bigger than that. And it's much more wonderful. This is his kingdom. It's a kingdom where, where love, joy, peace, truth, where they reign, where you don't have to feel guilty all the time that you don't measure up because it is settled in the kingdom. You don't measure up. You never will measure up, no matter how hard you work, no matter how good you try to be, you will never, ever measure up. And that's so freeing to know that the only way I can be in this kingdom is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me and is doing for me right now. It is by his righteousness it is by his sacrifice, his gift, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love. That's why I can be in the kingdom. And that's so freeing. It's so freeing. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you didn't really belong. Maybe you got invited to a, a party and it's like, ah, these... These aren't the people, that, and you're, and you're kind of, you know, you go to somebody's house who's, you know, really wealthy, and you, you're always waiting for them to tell you to leave, like, because you know you don't belong there. If you have come into the kingdom through Jesus Christ, you belong. You don't have to worry. You don't have to keep working to try to prove that you belong, you belong. But here's the problem. The problem that we face in our world today is that our, is that our world has gone so long without God. Our world has gone so long without real peace, real love, real joy, that they no longer even know what it is. The world doesn't even know what it is. And if the world kind of knows what it is, the world doesn't necessarily really value it. One of the questions I want to kind of be spinning around in your head as you, as you listen today to God's word is asking yourself, do you really value being in the kingdom? 
Do you really value being reconciled with God and having peace with God? And if you do value it, is this a treasure beyond measure? Or is it just a nice thing that we can have in a life of nice things? Christmas is just full of joy. You know, um, we, we look back in, in Luke chapter 1, and we, you know, we had earlier in the Christmas season, we, you know, we, we had the dance that, um, that, the, that the women did for us and the song that um, Stacy wrote, and it was based on the Magnificat, which is Mary's worship and praise to God upon finding out that you know, she would bear the Savior. And we see joy in Luke 1, 46. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant." In the Gospel of Matthew, you know, we, we see the wise men. And we see the wise men responding in joy. It says, when they saw the, the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then as we were reading with the Advent candle, the shepherds and the angels coming and, and praising God, it tells us in just right after that, it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See the language there? Wondered, praised, worshipped, treasured in their hearts. This isn't something we, we just do once a year at Christmas. Not if you're a Christian. Because what we find here, what we find here in the Christmas story is that every time someone encounters God, every time someone encounters Jesus Christ, the response is joy. The response is praise. Next week, you know, our... our Christmas series kind of ends on the 26th, and next week we're going to talk about what, what is worship? What does it mean to respond with worship to who, to who Jesus is? But we see this here. We see this response, and, and you know, one of the questions that, you know, you, I, I sometimes want to ask, um, you know, Christians, and sometimes I think people need to ask me this. And it's this question, who stole your joy? Who stole your joy? You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You've been redeemed. You've been saved from your sin. The God who you rejected and you rebelled against, he's the one who rescued you. Even if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we should be overwhelmed with gratitude anyways. Who stole your joy? 
why do so many Christians walk around with this kind of, kind of glum moodiness, always thinking about how the world is treating them so poorly? You know what? You might be right. The world might be treating you poorly. I might even be treating you poorly. But you know what? Jesus Christ treated you infinitely better. And that should give us infinite joy. And I know I get caught up in that too. And I think part of it is because we don't really understand what joy is. And if you came on Wednesday night to our Bible study, and by the way, all these things I'm mentioning, we record them. You can listen to them. Even our sermon series up until this point, you can go and listen to, listen to it. But on Wednesday night, we talked about how the Bible says repeatedly that we should have joy in suffering. What? It doesn't mean we should, you know, seek out suffering because joy might be found there. But it, it means that what true joy is, is not based on our situation. It's not based on how good things are. It's not based on how I'm being treated or, or you know, what, what I'm going through in life, whether it's, it's good times or kind of boring times or whether I'm actually struggling and suffering. That joy is this constant, this constant thing that we have with us. It's not naive. There's some people who think, you know, they're going to be, they're, they're full of joy because they don't know what's going on in the world. They don't even know what's going on in their lives. I, I don't hear people talking about this here, but sometimes when I listen to Texas radio, there's a thing that they have in Texas that's called a, a body scan. And you can pay to have these body scans cost a couple hundred dollars. And what it does is it does this whole scan of your body and, and it'll show like if you have blockages in your arteries and you know whether it looks like there's anomalies that could be cancerous. And so a lot of people do it because you know, it kind of gives them a warning of what's coming, uh, what, what might be coming down the line. But a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to know. They don't want to know what that donut's doing to them. They just want to love the donut and enjoy the moment, you know? They don't want to know what, you know, their, their health or their exercise or whatever is, or lack thereof is doing to them. They just want to live in the moment. This isn't naive. This isn't, don't tell me what's going on. I have blinders on. I only want to see sunshine. It's not mindless. But this is why it's joy that can only come from God. Because it is this sense of joy that we have, even though we know maybe in more profound ways than anyone else, that, that this world is hurting. That this, there's ugliness in this world. There's hatred in this world. And we can have joy even in that situation. And so that first point is true joy is a response to the reality of Jesus in our lives. Not a response to the news. It is good news, but it's not simply a response to, hey, I heard about this rescue plan. I heard about this thing that God did for us. And you know, that's, that's awesome. 
You know, you can hear that and you can like it and it can, it can, it can sound good. But no, this is different. It would be like if something terrible happened where, you know, our ability to, you know, travel outside of Oahu was just limited. And we, you know, is eliminated. Like, there's no way they could, you know, get planes to land, airport, you know, all that's closed down. We're, we're in trouble. And then we start hearing about a rescue plan. That would make us feel better. Rescue plan. But then, as we're actually being rescued... It's a different feeling. We're in the process of being saved. It's a different feeling. This isn't just joy at thinking, there's a God somewhere who loves me. There's a God somewhere who loves me despite my sin. There's a God somewhere who loves me despite my sin and is wants to save me and sent his son to save me. It's not simply joy based on the message. It's joy based on the reality. The reality of experiencing Christ in my life. Experiencing the forgiveness. Experiencing the the new life in Christ. Everything we've talked about all to this time. The hope, the the, the truth, the love, the peace, the joy. It's experiencing that. We have this response. And yeah, mixed in there is gratitude. Mixed in there is all that we talk about with praise. There's a rejoicing. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not the most, like, kind of demonstrative person in the world. That's just not kind of my way. My, you know, my... Daughters every Christmas, um, you know, they give me gifts hoping I will say more than, that's nice, because that's pretty high praise for me when I say that's nice. If I say that's really nice, then they know they've knocked it out of the park, right? And yet, I sometimes think as Christians, and especially, you know, certain you know, certain demographics of Christians, we think that it's cool not to respond to God. Like, it's cool to come to church and be nice and in control and never, like, smiling or actually singing out or raising our hands or falling on our faces. It's almost like we're afraid to say, like, you know what God did for me this week? It was awesome. And we're afraid to say it because we don't know how other people are going to react. But true joy is this response to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the work of the Spirit. And we see that in the Christmas story. But as I was saying earlier, true joy is also a gift There's this weird sense where true joy is a response that it somehow comes from us. But the Bible also talks about true joy being a gift. And I want to jump back to the book that we were looking at earlier and spend a little time here in Romans chapter 15. 
In Romans 15, verses 8 through 13, Paul is kind of wrapping up this, this letter to the Romans. And he's wrapping up this place, this letter where he's laid out just all of what we've been talking about, the rescue plan, the salvation, faith, justification by faith. And so as he wraps it up, he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. So he's talking about to the Jewish people. He says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And of course the Gentiles are all the people who aren't Jewish. I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And I, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. That's Jesus. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Notice the last thing first. Notice that last verse. Paul says, may the God of hope fill you. This isn't something that we just generate. In some sense it is a response, but in another sense it is the God of hope, God himself, filling us filling those who believe with all joy and peace. And I'm, I'm not going to unpack this passage as much as we did on Wednesday night, but just back up one verse. And if you look at the one verse, it talks about the root of Jesse, the root of Jesse being Jesus and Jesus being in the, the line of David, the royal line of David. So he's talking about him as a king. And he says, He's telling the Gentiles to rejoice because this Jewish king is now going to rule over you. If I were to tell you, like, you know, we're talking about this morning, you know, how God speaks to us. And if I were to tell you, like, oh, I received a prophecy. And the prophecy is that, um, that the, the ruler, um, you, know, the, you know, the president, whoever is in charge of, of, of China in three years, will be in charge of the United States. Rejoice. How many of you would go like, yay, rejoice. A foreign king, a foreign queen, a foreign ruler is now ruling our nation. Rejoice. We wouldn't say rejoice. We would wonder what happened. What's gone wrong? For us to be conquered by anybody. And why would we rejoice? But it says, he's telling the Gentiles to rejoice because this foreign king, this Jewish king, is going to rise up and rule the Gentiles. How can he say this? Well, Paul says this because he knows the nature of the kingdom. 
The nature of the kingdom is not the nature that, the, that, that Jesus is coming in to rule with a scepter. You know, we, we get in our minds that, that somehow, at some point in time, all this Jesus talk about, you know, Jesus being like a lamb who was, you know, led to slaughter, who stood silent before his accusers, that the Jesus who died on the cross, the Jesus who resurrected, the Jesus who talked about being humble and being a servant, that at some point in time, that Jesus is going to transform into superhero Jesus, and now it's all going to be about power. He's going to reign. He's going to be king. He's going to be in control. That's what the kingdom means. I challenge you to find that in Scripture. If that's what your hope that the kingdom is, that some, someday Jesus will come and he will establish a government based on power and law and force, and that somehow we get to kind of have our little pieces of it, you're reading the wrong Bible. Or you're reading the right Bible in the wrong way. Why would Jesus switch it? Why would he talk about his kingdom being a kingdom of love? Why would he talk about if you want to be first in the kingdom, you have to be last? Why would he talk about humility? and service, and obedience to God the Father. Why would he talk about any of that to just say, yeah, but now we're going to switch it all up, and we're just going to make it like it was before, except the big difference is, I'm the big dude now. It's not the kingdom. It's not what it's like. And why? Because of the nature of God's kingdom, everyone can hope. Everyone can know righteousness. Everyone can know God's love. We can rejoice. It's not just one group. It's not just one ethnicity. God opens things to all people who will come by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, again, we unpacked more of this on Wednesday night, and we won't do much of it here, but, but I want to make this last point, that this last point is that true joy, which is a gift from God, comes from true love. True joy comes from true love, and true love only comes from God. One of the things that, that I hope that you've, you've gotten as we've gone through the scriptures is that, is that we cannot generate God's love. As, as John writes in 1 John, that it is only when we are born of God, that's when we can love God. Jesus says it this way in John 15. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want your joy to be full? Abide in the love of Jesus Christ. 
through being obedient to his commandments. It's not complicated. Not saying it's easy. It is not easy. But it's not complicated. This is why we spend so much time in God's word. Because we want to know his commandments. We want to know his word. But don't miss that this is immersed in God's love. Abide is a big fancy word that just means live. It can also mean remain, stay, be in his love. That when you're in his love, your joy is full. You have the joy that can face any situation. Not because you have just joy, but because that joy is a product of living in his love. When we, as Christians, live outside his love, when we want to do things on our own, when, when we want to make Christianity a list of rules or rituals or just right beliefs, there's a reason our, our joy gets stolen But when, we, when our joy comes from abiding in the love of God, that only comes from God, our joy is full. You should be getting by now that joy is more than happiness. And we raise this question on Wednesday night, can you be sad and have joy? And the answer is yes. more than just happiness. Happiness is, can be a part of joy, but it's not the, it's the same thing. In Romans 14, one chapter earlier, Paul writes this, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What is Paul saying? He's saying, he's saying you know, the, this kingdom, when he said it's not of eating and drinking, what he's saying is this kingdom is not about this physical world. The kingdom can be in the physical world. But it's not the physical world. It's not about palaces and, and thrones and, you know, all of those things that we think of kingdoms. But he says, instead, the kingdom is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If someone could guarantee you that in any situation you face for the rest of your life, whether good, bad, routine, that they could guarantee you that in every situation you would be righteous. You would have God's peace. You would have God's joy. You would know his love. If they could guarantee it, would you take it? 
or, or would you rather have circumstances changed? Would you rather have, you know, different house or different place to live or different relationships? This is the real kingdom. This is the real power of God that you can have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in every situation in life. And again, it's not naive, it's not mindless. When someone gets sick, it's not like, ah, that's great, they're sick. When someone dies, oh, wonderful, they've died. No, you still feel. But you walk through that deep, tragic sadness and right there with you is God's righteousness, his peace, his joy, his love. If someone could guarantee that you would have that, would you take it? That's what the kingdom is. And this is why we, we, we look forward to the kingdom that's coming. Because that's what the kingdom is in this world. The kingdom that's coming is all of that in perfection. Totally different. And that's why we, if we want to know this idea of what the kingdom is, if we want to know what what joy is, true joy is. If that's offered to you, would you take it? And the, the thing is that it is offered to you. And this true joy comes from the assurance that the kingdom is secure by the one true God who has the perfect love that never fails. You can have joy in every situation because you know that even though it seems like life has spiraled out of control, that God is not up there going, oh man, what do I do now? I never saw this coming. That no matter how great or how terrible things are, the assurance is that the one true God who is perfect love that never fails, his kingdom will prevail. He is still in control. That's how we know true joy. That's how we can say with Paul, we can be content in every situation. But notice what it, what it said in that previous passage. It talks about that's why we devote ourselves to mutual upbuilding. It's why we, we want this church, this community, to be marked by righteousness and joy and love and peace. And how hard that is, it's one thing to feel that as an inner sense going through struggles. But this is saying, no, it's not just an inner sense. It's us collectively as the church living out our faith in such a way 
allowing the Spirit to work through us in such a way that this becomes a place, it becomes a community that's marked by peace and love and joy. It's not just for me to walk through life and have some inner sense of, of contentment. And it's not just for us to have this community because when we get it right, when all of us get it right, and it's so hard for us because all of us have our, our fears and we have our shortcomings and we have our, our pettiness and all of this other stuff that makes it so hard. We don't want to be forgiving. It, even though we might work really hard where it's not about me, somehow it comes back to being about me and my feelings got hurt or whatever. And all of that, when we get it right, the world sees what God does when he gets a hold of a group of people. The world sees and the world will know and we proclaim in a powerful way to the world who Jesus is, what the kingdom is, what true joy and peace and love is and why we should hope. The last verse I'll share with you is from Matthew 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's like a really good story of what it should be like when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you have that treasure unlocked in you, that it will be of such infinite value that you'll be like this man who goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, his whole life is about the kingdom. That's how valuable it is. It's not one on a list. It's not number one on a list. It is the list. And that's the question we keep coming, that, that I started with, that we come back to. Do we want to be rescued? Do we value righteousness and reconciliation with God? like this treasure hidden in a field. When we do, we'll know joy because we know no matter what life brings us, the God who loves us is always in control.